Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, I guess. Good afternoon and good night. Welcome one and all to Monday Football Monday here on the SB Nation NFL show where we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code SBNFL because life's more fun when you are in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions do apply. Border prohibited. See DraftKings.com. For details, as noted, this is Monday, Football Monday. It is Monday, January 15th, 2024. On the SB Nation NFL show, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Please do subscribe on Apple devices, Spotify, etc., etc. You can also watch us on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel. When I say us, I mean the fantastic uh, Rachel Prevet on the ones and twos as always. I'm RJ Cho from Blogging the Boys. And with me back again, uh, the two most talented, uh, most supremely handsome, I guess I'll offer, uh, writers for SBNation.com. It is Mark Schofield and JP. Gentlemen, I mean, let's football's dumb. I mean, like, let, let's we don't. This is all pointless and stupid. In my uh, humble opinion. RJ, if you just want to go for ten minutes and just just let it all out, like that's fine. Like JP, I mean, I I'll, I'll, what happened yesterday? What happened? What happened? I don't even look. We're obviously here to recap. Um, 66% of the, the, excuse me, super wild card weekend. Um, we have two games still to come on Monday afternoon. Obviously, the uh, the Bill Steelers game was rescheduled because of the snowstorm, which has just been insane to monitor. JP, I'm sure that you have shuddered. Um, just looking at it, you are very afraid of cold weather, which is a take you should be proud of. Um, but despite the fact that three other teams have lost uh, so far in the playoffs, all anybody wants to talk about right now is the Dallas Cowboys because that's who the Cowboys are. They, they set themselves up to be the butt of every joke. And a lot of the jokes are dumb and outplayed and, you know, annoying memes at this point in time, but they keep doing it. They keep finding ways to, to open the door of ridicule uh, towards them. I do have a lot of thoughts and takes and opinions, obviously, and, and we're in kind of crisis mode. The alarms are, are ringing everywhere at blogging the boys. As you can imagine, people are kicking down our doors, trying to, you know, just, you know, get thoughts off themselves. Um, so I guess we might as well start with them. Mark, the Cowboys, 48 to 32 is way too kind. I mean, like yeah. it was so much farther apart than that. Like this was never a game for the Cowboys. No, it wasn't. And I, all I can think about right now, remember that Simpsons episode where Homer becomes a boxer and Moe's his promoter. He ends up like fighting Tyson and Moe comes in, you know, and swoops him out of the ring. And the Don Kane type characters, like he couldn't even give you one round, Moe. We all kind of knew the Cowboys' horrific loss was coming. We, we we knew it was coming. We figured, you know, maybe the division around, maybe an NFC Championship game in San Francisco. You couldn't even give us one win. Because here we are, 
wild card weekend against the seven seed. And this game was over before halftime. Like, wow. And Dan Quinn, I hope he inked that contract in Seattle already. Cause he's going to show up for that interview now. And they're going to be like, you know what? We're good. We're good. Like guys were running wide open. You had still shots of Packers receivers without a single Cowboys defender in view. This game was over before halftime. What happened? This looked like a team that was unprepared to play football. Like, I think that is the most shocking and jarring thing for a group of veteran coaches. They have been here before. Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn have been in the playoffs before. They have been to this level with this Cowboys team before. And it looked like they they weren't even ready to play football. It looked like the Packers were a two seed playing at home. By the way, the Packers have more wins at AT AT&T Stadium than the Cowboys do in the playoffs. Playoff Um, wins. Playoff wins, to be specific. Yeah, I said in the the playoffs. In the playoffs. Okay, and that that does include their Super Bowl win. Again, like, if you're going to drag them, like, drag them, (laughs) you know, all the way. That's all I'm saying. So, Yeah, I feel like with every Cowboys loss, it becomes, like, the Thaddeus Young meme. But instead of, like, celebrating Thaddeus Young being in the same group as Jordan, LeBron, and Larry Bird, it's the Cowboys not having as many playoff wins since 1996 as the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um... I think the biggest thing, like Mark said, was the defense just looked completely unprepared. And again, I've always been someone who was very high on Matt LaFleur as the schemer and play caller and play designer. He put Dan Quinn in a blender this entire game. I think it was also a major chink in the major chink in the armor for the Cowboys defense. You came into the season with three linebackers and six safeties. And, you know, when you play 205-pound Marquise Bell at linebacker, you tend to get run over, you know, unless you are up, unless you are up, unless you were out in front. I think that's what the Cowboys were designed to do because how potent the offense was, if they get the lead, then teams are passing more and that's where where they want to get you. The Packers took the ball and immediately scored a touchdown. Like, it wasn't like this was a game that the Packers fought back after the Cowboys were up. They dominated this game from the jump, and the Packers did it again at quarterback. They did it again. Good Goose was right. Aaron Rodgers is sitting on the Pat McAfee show spouting conspiracy theories while Jordan Love sets records in the playoffs. Um, The first Packers possession in the initial stages of Cope um, felt like, okay, um, you know, they followed their script, you know, and they picked, they had a couple, you know, penalties, the Duran Blaine holding penalty, you know, obviously down near the goal line, there was another penalty. You kind of thought like, man, it took all the breaks for the Packers to kind of pull this off. Like, you know, that's a, a positive sign, you know, for, you know, to come. And again, um, the hilarity of that is not lost on me. Um, JP, I'm with you. Like, again, like drag anybody you want, like nobody is off or on a list for me that is like untouchable. We are well within range to drag Mike McCarthy well within. I feel like I started the let's drag Dan Quinn conversation a long time ago. I've been screaming about how, and a lot of it is annoyance because people have have acted like anything good that has happened to the Cowboys in the last three years has been Dan Quinn and Dan Quinn alone. I mean, from the moment the Cowboys played, ironically, the Seahawks this season, they didn't force a single punt. Then they got worked by the Bills, let the Dolphins go down the field and kick a game-winning field goal. They, you know, surrendered against the Lions and opened the door for the dumbest referee, you know, reporting-eligible conversation we ever had to have. And then we're never in this game against, you know, and again, not that the offense was. Uh, but so, Dan Quinn, you want to go be the head coach of the Seahawks? Fine by me. Like, no one is going to miss you at this point in time. This This defense has kind of become overrated and is just sort of, um, you know, kind of riding the coattails of, of what they've done over the course of the this little era. 
Um, but you have to blame Dak Prescott too. Like this isn't a, a loss of this proportions. It's not just on McCarthy, not just on Quinn. You can obviously come for Jerry Jones and Steven Jones. Dak was awful. Like Dak looked, Dak looked like the, the quarterback making his first ever playoff start. Like it, I have, I can't recall the last time I saw Dak. Actually, I can. It was last year in San Francisco. The last time Dak Prescott looked so rattled, so frazzled. I mean, Mark, you know, quarterback playing. I mean, Dak was clearly pressing. I mean, it was really frustrating to watch and unnerving to watch. And this conversation is going to be really frustrating and really annoying over the course of the entire offseason. But he has all of the leverage against them in terms of contract negotiations. I don't know how well aware you two are. His cap number for 2024 is almost $60 million. He has a no trade clause in his contract. And the Cowboys are going to have to pay both CeeDee Lamb and Micah Parsons. And in order to obviously have the flexibility to do that, they're going to have to do an extension with him. He plays the quarterback position. He does it at a very high level. Like, he's going to make $60 million a year. He's going to become the highest paid player in the NFL, either before or after Micah Parsons becomes the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. But, I mean, goodness gracious, again, the – the way that they just find ways to do this is, is amazing. I mean, it is astounding. And it, I mean, we're at a point now where it's like, okay, well, you've been blown out in the playoffs. You've lost heartbreakers. You've had weird penalties or weird calls or weird judgments or weird subjective things happen against you. Like, what is the path? Like, what, what is the one way that they haven't explored or haven't wandered down towards, you know, that being ultimately it? Like, they, they seem to be a team who can always find a way for the bad thing to happen to them. They have been in this wilderness, Mark, for so long, all right, so long that the year that this drought began in 1996, Marvin Harrison was drafted into the NFL. He played his entire career, won a Super Bowl, sat out the mandatory period, was enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, in that process had a son who has become an incredibly talented receiver in his own right, and this year will be drafted somewhere around second or third in the NFL draft himself. Like, it is unbelievable, like, how long this has stretched. And it, so it's not just... McCarthy it's not just Quinn it's not just Dak I mean all these people like I said come for them as much as you want I'm not going to stop you but this is a, a just a culture an environment of failure Mark wow I don't know how I follow that I guess the only way I can is is Bill Belichick the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys um following up on the Marvin Harrison thing the last time the Cowboys were in the NFC championship I was not alive <clears throat> yeah I mean I think the Marvin Harrison thing is funnier personally I also no, uh that makes sense, yeah. A go-to yeah, of mine, if, if either of you want to use this, feel free. Um, the last time the Cowboys did anything like this, obviously, John Elway did not have a Super Bowl ring of any kind. Um, he would, of course, you know, win two as a player and then retire and all this stuff, again, be enshrined to the Hall of Fame, and then literally begin the pathway towards, like, football managing and built his own team that won a Super Bowl, which included a Dallas Cowboys superstar and DeMarcus Ware. Um, so, you know, either one, it's up to you. I think the craziest thing about how Dak played yesterday was how out of sync he was with CeeDee Lamb. They made a Dude. huge point about it during the game. I think the thing that encapsulated this game the most offensively was Greg Olson talking about CeeDee and Dak talking during the timeout and them looking clearly frustrated with each other. And then the next play, Dak threw the pick six to Darnell Savage where he forced it to CeeDee Lamb and everybody in the building knew that ball was going to CeeDee Lamb on a slant, including Darnell Savage who rolled down from his robber to the robber spot in cover one and didn't do anything. He, he walked into the end zone from like 60 yards out. So I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me offensively. How just, how off Dak looked. Like for a quarterback who has been on the entire season, this was bad. Like this was a, the numbers are going to show 41 of 60, 
300 plus yards, three touchdowns. Empty it was calories. Not, yeah. Yeah. It, it was empty calories. That was it was a horrific performance at home. He, you mentioned he looked rattled at home. This is the type of loss that like sweeping changes have got to be made. Mark, what should the Cowboys do? What sweeping changes? I mean, and within the the realms of practicality, because again, our chat is filled with like, got to move on from Dak. My Twitter mentions are filled with that, but that is a conceivable option, at least at this moment in time. So understanding the ramifications that you have to operate. Yeah, I mean, I I do think you go to head coach first. Like, I feel like that's where the conversation is going to go. And when you have the record that they've had under McCarthy, where what's this now, the third year in a row, you've gone basically one and done after 10, 11, 12. Like, just to add to that, Mark, um, this because this is, is really emblematic of who they are. Ed Werder tweeted this out on Sunday evening. Um, the Cowboys are the first team in the Super Bowl era to win at least 12 games, three consecutive seasons, and not reach a conference championship. Like, I mean, that's, that's the a, only one. That's a that's not a good line to have on a resume. <laughs> I mean, it's just not. Um, in terms of a head coach, I've seen, like, hire somebody from the Shanahan tree. Perhaps, like, you know, do you go sort of cross-state? to the offensive coordinator in Houston, Bobby Slowick, do you make that move immediately? That seems really quick. He's done a tremendous job with Shroud. That seems like really quick in terms of hiring a head coach. Um, But yeah, I I think that's where the conversation has to go first because it seems like this team has hit a ceiling under McCarthy. And I don't know if Jerry Jones is going to trust him. I mean, this was the scenario we all thought. They're going to have a bad playoff loss. And he's going to say, look, we've plateaued here. We make a change at head coach. Because like you said, the, the numbers don't work for a quarterback Prescott change. We assume Quinn's going to get the Seattle job. So there'll be a change there as well. So I, I just think that's where this goes. New DC, new head coach, probably a new offensive coordinator. JP, I think along the lines of that, uh, the personnel has to change as well. Outside of like the stars, you know, I think – Again, going into the season with only three linebackers and then Leighton Vander Esch getting hurt, that obviously sucks. But well, and, one, kinda... and one of your linebackers is a converted safety at that. Yeah. yeah. One of the linebackers is a converted safety. The draft pick, DeMarvian Overshone, was a converted safety who weighed maybe 215 pounds. This is how they wanted to play. They wanted to play like a college defense. And then when they ran into a team that runs an NFL offense, when they can run and hit you in the mouth in the run game, this is what happens. You know, they kind of ground up. And one of the biggest things was, I think, on the big Musgrave play where he was wide open. They had to play Michael Parsons at off-ball linebacker because all the off-ball linebackers stunk, which also removes the effectiveness of Michael Parsons as a defensive player because he's one of the best pass rushers and edge defenders in the NFL. It feels like we're back to 2020 with this defense where you have to play Michael Parsons everywhere to kind of shore up holes in the front seven when you don't have to do that you have the person you have the ability to go out and add personnel and go get better at these places but i think it's going to take some personnel changes some some new ideas outside of the mccarthy dan quinn which is why i agree like people got to go not that um the game was like close um at that moment in time jp so like they'd lost already in embarrassing fashion but at that point it was like oh man they are like so desperate because they have been like oh move micah to off ball linebacker are y'all crazy like this you know what i mean like they have laughed at that idea all season long so it was it was this true like we have nothing else to try like we are exposed we're stuck but i mean i look micah parsons resume speaks for itself but i mean like dude 
he's he's quiet in these big games. I mean, like it, like we got to blame Micah, and you brought up CD. Like I love CD Lamb, and would you know fight for him pretty much ninety nine out of a hundred times. But dude, you cannot be moping around because things are not going your way early on in this game. Like that was a really bad look for CD Lamb. And again, we don't know the exact specifics of what was happening between him and Dak Prescott. But again, let's come for McCarthy. Let's come for Quinn. Let's come for Dak. But like CD Lamb was a no show early in this game when it mattered. Micah Parsons was a no show early in this game when it really mattered. Dak, CD, Micah, those are the three dudes who are going to each get a bag this offseason. And they were all flat in a big time moment. The thing that was startling the most about the CD thing was that happened on the first drive of the game. I know. Now, it was off rip. Like, this wasn't like it happened mid midway through the game when CD was moping around. This was the first drive. Like, something clearly was off leading up into the prep for this week. But the Michael Parsons stuff, I think it was really fascinating because I think he and Miles Garrett had the same problem, which is when you run play action against very aggressive defenses, it exposes a lot of holes. And both Matt LaFleur and Bobby Slowick come from that Shanahan tree of using play action to abuse aggressive defenses. And that's what happened this entire game. Jordan Love was on fire. Like, I think for – he has been, like, the one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL since, like, week 12. And he, yesterday he was just on it. Just yeah. on the The third touchdown to Dontavian Wicks was just such high-level quarterbacking play. Getting up to the line, doing the dummy count to show the uh, to make Dallas show the zero blitz, changing the play, and then throwing off your back foot to Dontavian Wicks in the end zone. That's that's really tough for any vet quarterback to do to even execute. It's even tougher to throw that touchdown in the spot where he did the Dobbs touchdown when they were just pouring it on. He's so confident in his arm and throwing at different angles, and the accuracy has kind of ironed out with the development and the time to sit behind Aaron Rodgers and have LaFleur work with him, Matt LaFleur has done, done one of the best coaching jobs in the NFL this year. I, I think I kind of got a little out over my skis when I said the Packers would win the division and Matt LaFleur would win coach of the year, but I'm taking my victory lap on Jordan Love. I I think this is I think I earned this one, but uh, this was an amazing performance by the youngest team in the NFL, which is startling to say like they are this far ahead with a team that's only going to grow together because they have a bunch of first and second year receivers. Mark, uh, in the lead up to this game, I was just kind of playing around with things in from week 12 on from Thanksgiving on um, just kind of isolated that stretch, which is a little bit of an irresponsible thing to do. But still, in that time, Jordan Love, second in the NFL in terms of EPA per play, yeah. trailing only Brock Purdy. I mean, like, again, like these things become more obvious, to, you know, when, when things like this tend to happen. He was remarkable. Uh, I know Justice Mosqueda, obviously, from Acme Packing Company, our great friend. Um, has been kind of having fun with like, it does feel beyond Jordan Love, to JP's point, like the Packers have done it again. Um, like the initial kind of run that they had with Greg Jennings and Jordy Nelson, like when all the crew was so young, it, it just, it's your Michael Finley up in there. Um, they are the first seven seed in NFL history. Granted, this is only the third year of its existence to win a playoff game. They are hot. I mean, and there are going to be people, I think, who, you know, kind of sexily, and that's not a word, but, you know, in a sexy way, pick them to beat the Niners next week. Um why not? Like, I mean, it's it's annoying and it's frustrating, but it's also kind of hilarious that the Packers did it again. Yeah, it is hilarious that they did it again. And, and that wish touch on the JP just talked about, that was right out of an Aaron Rodgers moment. Like, Rodgers was so good and throughout his years has been so good at using his cadence, just not just the hard count to get off sides, calls, but to get the defense to show their hand. I mean, that's what you get when you have the ability to draft a quarterback, sit and develop and let them learn behind a player like Aaron Rodgers. And 
it does seem a little bit like a stretch to say that they could go into San Francisco and win, but maybe. I mean, look, they're playing with house money. It's the proverbial young team that, that's in it now, and now they've got not just their first taste of the playoffs, a playoff road win against a team that we thought, okay, they're 8-0 at home. They averaged 37 points at home. Like, Dallas is going to at least win this game. Well, they didn't. Could they go in in San Francisco and steal one? I think it's certainly possible. They got that proverbial puncher's chance. And love, like you said, sit going into that stretch of games. They had a cluster of games like three and 12 days, including that Thanksgiving day against Detroit. There are a lot of people in the Green Bay area that were still at that point wondering, look, is love really the guy? Like, are we going to have to dip our toes into the quarterback market again? Because we're not sure. Since then, though, forget those questions. Those have been answered. And I think they've been answered in the, yep, they've done it again, Favre to Rogers to love kind of fashion. Like it's gone now from do we need to draft another quarterback to are we extending Jordan Love this offseason? Yeah. It, I it's mean, become if you're – if you're ranking NFC quarterbacks, like entering 2024, like he's number two. I mean, like, you know, like pe- people will say like, you can't rank, da- rank Dak ahead of him, right? Like, because people will live off this moment. He's, you know, Jalen Hurts obviously regressed this season. Matthew Stafford's been amazing. And we'll see what Jared Goff continues to do. I mean, Kirk Cousins, if he stays, but like, he's right there. Like, I mean, like, it's, it's annoying. Yep. I mean, but the only solace I take in all this is that, like, this is a big fat L for Aaron Rodgers. Like, watching the Packers, like, have all the success. Uh, but to that point, it's like, man, it's the, – the team's changed. It's like you literally took Mike McCarthy. Like, Mike McCarthy's been on that side of the embarrassing Cowboys playoff loss against the Packers, right? And you literally remove him and put him on your side. Different characters, different staffs, different rosters, whatever, different locations. It doesn't matter. They are your daddy. I don't know whose daddy and whose mommy did the, the Cowboys between the Niners and the Packers, but they both own them. It's really, really <laughs> joint custody. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, Mark, um, what game do you want to talk about next? The other one, Sunday? Why not? Yeah, let's let's do Sunday first. Um, the Detroit Lions, Mark, survived. Um, and one of the coolest scenes in the NFL, obviously, in recent memory, when they got that win, 24-23 over the Rams. Um, obviously, the Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff story got all the play. But this game did kind of live up to all the hype. And it kind of checked all the boxes and kind of every, every – if it was a movie, it hit everything you kind of wanted it to have. Yeah, I mean, this one covered and, – and thank goodness that it did because the first three games of this weekend – weren't that enjoyable like that they all kind of got out of hand it was great to have this one because you had the storylines it lived up to all the hype i mean Goff and stafford in this game were just throwing absolute haymakers like like they were playing stafford was no look at every throw he possibly could pukunakua i mean many people thought he was going to be good in the like the draft community but this i mean even those that were fans of him didn't see this coming I just an absolutely incredible game. And he was taking some hits too. Like Collinsworth was calling like, why would they run sort of jet sweeps? They do so many, so much of the jet sweep realm with this Rams offense. The first time they did it was with Nakua and he got absolutely blasted, but he comes back, had a couple, a few more tough catches over the middle. I didn't think the Rams, the Lions were going to hold on to this one though. It felt like it was getting away from them. And then to have the defense sort of step up, you know, knock them out of field goal range where it looked like the Rams were going to be in a position to take the lead. We all thought we were going to get sort of a Jared Goff game wouldn't drive type of moment. The defense stepped up and yeah, absolutely incredible scenes at the end. The fans like stayed there. You had fans like grown men crying in the stands. My good buddy, our good friend, Jeff Risden was watching it at home. He's a Lions fan. You know, he's recorded himself in front of the TV, like fist pumping. 
it was absolutely incredible scenes. But this game did live up to all the storylines, all the expectations, all the hype, and it was a fantastic football game to watch. I think this was a proof of concept game, not only, not just for the Detroit Lions this year, but for the Detroit Lions of the Dan Campbell era. Think about the guys who made impact plays in this game. Panay Sewell, first-round draft pick. Uh, Frank Ragnow, uh, one of the centers that they believed in, centers that they brought in to help elevate that uh, offense. Jonah Jackson playing extremely well. Taylor Decker, the longest, like, the one of the older guys on Detroit Lions. He's been there his, his entire career. Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta immediately making impacts. Amon Ross St. Brown being the most unguardable receiver on the field, on the field with Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup on the other side. And you think about Brian Branch making plays. Aiden Hutchinson had two big major pass rushes against um, Rob Havenstein on the final drive where the Rams had to punt. That's the that's the core of this team stepping up when you need them to the most. It speaks a lot to the culture that Dan Campbell and the drafting that Brad Holmes has done since they've taken over. They have not they have not been shy about going against the grain of what people think they should do in the draft. People paying the Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporte, Brian Branch picks, but all four of those guys were impact players from year one, from day one, and so. This is the proof of concept game. This is the the Lions have arrived game because all of these guys are really young and they're all making impact plays on the biggest stage. And that's really cool. Yeah, and JP, it sort of goes, like if you think back to say back in April and May when they had that draft class and people were like, is it 1995? You drafted an inside linebacker, you, you drafted a tight end, you drafted a running back. What, what is this? It gets to something you've been talking about a ton this year, which is the spine of the football field, right? Like building through the middle, like you do with a baseball team, right? Pitcher, catcher, second, short, center field. That's where they're building right now. That seems to be where the game's trending, right? You know, in years past, it was speed. It was space. Get into the edges. Get in playmakers the ball in the flat to let them do something after the catch. Now we're seeing it like the good teams like San Francisco. They build through that spine. The Lions are doing that, too. And it is that sort of proof of concept. Not that we can just win a division. We can win a playoff game. We can make a deep playoff game. We can make a deep playoff run. Like, they're going to be playing at home now. Two home playoff games. When's the last time we saw that for Detroit? Um... I mean, I guess what was it, whatever it was that 91 season. Um, but I mean, I, by the way, um, I don't know if either of you saw this. I tweeted about it. Um, when Melissa Stark interviewed the Lions trio after the game, Aiden Hutchinson was asked about playing another home game. And the first thing he said was, we really wanted to play Dallas. And like, I hate the Cowboys so much right now that like, I didn't even have the energy to like, to be like rent free loser. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it is a rent free loser thing of Aiden Hutchinson to say like, dude, come on, you're about to host a divisional playoff game. But like, I just don't even care. Like drag, like drag the Cowboys into oblivion. Hey, um, keep the main thing, the main thing. That's what I said after like, Hey, I'm glad Aiden Hutchinson is keeping our eyes on the main character of the weekend. Um, But that being said, I picked the Rams. I mean, I know a lot of people did. And I thought like, Oh man, like, it's like this is a great story but like this is how it ends and like you both said like they have arrived and i don't mean to just get to the like the cliche of it all but like they broke through like not only did they break through like they won the division they're a playoff team but like you're no longer the like you know like lucy didn't get to pull this one back right. like you know what i mean like you you you're you're here like you're i wouldn't say a blue blood but like you have arrived and look they're gonna host the winner of monday night's game and like 
that probably breaks really well for them, right? Like, I mean, I think we look, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like the Cowboys are, are a great team all of a sudden, but like, I think we both or all of us would have picked Dallas to beat them if Dallas had advanced. And that, obviously, that game would have been at AT&T Stadium. So, this they, they are probably going to play for a ticket to the Super Bowl. Like, that's that's crazy. And I think they're obviously got the backing of a lot of people, their own fans included. Um, I agree with you, JP, proof of concept. What was the the stat or whatever about Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta each having 12 touchdowns, like the first rookie pair or whatever to do that? Like, I mean, there's something badass to like how they've just called their shot, you know, time after time after time after time. And I will say like some of the things have worked despite being illogical, right? Like the Jameer Gibbs and, and Jack Campbell things. Those were I mean, objectively illogical and kind of dumb things, but they worked out. And like you, you know, history is written by the winners and and they're the ones who get to write it right now. And I think from the Rams perspective, two things really stood out in this loss. The first one, Sean McVay kind of kind of cost the Rams this game with every time he entered the red zone, the red zone play calling one was weird Two, settling for field goals every time. Like you, you have Matthew Stafford, you have these two great receivers. You need to go for it at least on one of these. I think the fourth and 14 where everybody's like, why don't you go for it there? I think that was kind of like, okay, let's, we can relax a little bit because it was fourth and 14, but on any of the other ones where he kicked the field goal, he should have gone for it. You think about the drive to uh, in the first half where you have at a little under a minute and all three timeouts and Matthew Stafford, you can drive the length of the field to at least get in the field goal range a little bit. You know, you have that ability. But I think Sean McVay's clock management and red zone decisions kind of cost them this game, as well as the Rams have really kind of overachieved defensively despite having Aaron Donald and 10 dudes from L.A. Fitness. But um, if I have to ever see 310-pound Michael Hoyt on San Porta and Amon Ross St. Brown in the game's biggest moments ever again, I'm going to throw up. I mean, you can't – like what? We can't keep doing this to him. He's 310 pounds, man. What's that uh, Solomon Missouri uh, thread where he don't want to be out yeah. here? Yeah. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to be out here. You do not want, yeah. He's much better going forward towards the quarterback instead of having to do his best Preston Smith impression. Amon Ross St. Brown, by the way. I, I kind of want to take a victory lap there because I, I absolutely loved him coming out. And people were like, what are we talking about? He is so good. He is just he's the so perfect lion too. Good. Yeah. Like he's the perfect he's so player yeah. for this this team. Jared Goff is the perfect player for this team. Like, like who who is the like like I think we can look at successful teams and be like, this this person's a little like miscast, right? Like they would maybe thrive in a in a different way somewhere else. But like I don't like who is that player here? You know what I mean? Like they're all perfect. Yeah. This is like the mighty ducks. You know what I mean? Like it's a perfect kind of group. And Jack uh that player was born from it. That player that's was DeAndre Swift. Man, you know what? And, like, I mean, look, the Eagles don't use him, and that's funny. But, like, everybody thought the Lions were really stupid for that. I mean, like, there's, you know, on the subject of victory laps, like, it, and Jamal Williams. You know, everybody's like, how are you getting rid of Jamal? Like, you know, whatever. But, like, they deserve some props. Good for them. Um, it's going to be interesting to, to see where the Rams go. Um, this is their first playoff loss in the Matthew Stafford era. I mean, not that it's like super old or anything like that, but this is the first playoff loss since the game that, you know, forced them to trade away Jared Goff. Um, so going to be an interesting offseason for the Rams. They have their own first pick for the first time in what feels like ages. That's true. Since Jared yeah, Goff, he was the last one. Traded to uh, the Carolina for Brian Burns. 
Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Um, Mark, um, you've each taken to Victory Labs. Allow me yeah, to stand up for my one. Houston Texans. All right. Now, JP, I respect you're like, uh, I kind of called this and I didn't really think it was going to be this good. You know what I mean? With Jordan Love and the Packers. I'm not coming in with any humility here. I'm I'm taking anything I can get my hands on right now. I believed in the Houston Texans and CJ Stroud. I said they would win the AFC South. Now, a lot of things had to happen, like your Jaguars collapsing, obviously, for it to come to fruition. But it did. And then they kicked the Browns' ass. I mean, like nobody they were my lock of the week on friday's show on tj football around here i couldn't believe that they were three-point dogs the disrespect mark to one of the best rookie quarterbacks we have ever seen and he was on fire in the first half and just kicked his feet up in the second because the browns imploded yeah i mean he was like chilling on the sidelines of the second half which was an incredible sight i think what's fascinating to me is like going into this game a, a lot of the angles were look the browns defense is so good against the pass like they're so good you know, 1.43 points per drive allowed this year, second only to the Baltimore Ravens. Their defense is going to be probably the deciding factor. Absolutely not. It was Houston. Like, back-to-back pick sixes of Joe Flacco. Like, that just broke this game wide open. But, yeah, Stroud was masterful. I mean, he's been so good. And as good as Jordan Love was on Sunday, Stroud was just as good, if not better, you know, up against that Browns defense. And I just I, – I always come back to – standing in front of him at the podium in Indianapolis during the combine. He was answering so many questions about, you know, you're, you weren't an athlete. Like you don't make plays outside of the pocket. You don't put, make plays off structure. You struggle against pressure. And he was just like, I'm a ball placement specialist. And yeah, maybe I should have run more. I could have run more, but I had guys that I will run it wide open. So I'm just going to let them playmakers play, make plays. And you're seeing that throughout this entire season of him. Was he was able to do that. He was able to do all that. He just didn't feel like he needed to at Ohio State. But when he needed to in the NFL, he can absolutely do it. 
He's been fantastic. So fun to watch. I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens in this other AFC game, but if they have to go into Baltimore, I kind of like their chances. Um, Outside of thinking, watching this game, uh, the Jaguars better kick it, kick it in high gear. Um, the biggest thing that stood out with CJ Stroud and Jordan Love is we talk a lot about creation out of schedule, outside the pocket, like kind of being the Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen being able to extend plays like that. But I think we kind of overlook the creation within the pocket. Being able to do that stuff is what separates the good quarterbacks from the great ones. And CJ Stroud and Jordan Love have played great and both have this ability to create from within the pocket, from within muddy structures, whether it be beating the defense with his with the arm like CJ Stroud or creating platforms like uh, Jordan Love does throwing off his back foot. Those type of things separate good quarterbacks from great ones. And again, we talked about the Lions with proof of concept. This is the Texans kind of proof of concept game. They had all this belief in their young players, and they teed off. I think where this game really took, where this game really separated for them was when the Browns couldn't go to play action. Because not only is it to protect Joe Flacco's inability to move at 39 years old, it also protects their offensive tackles. I think we, I think the Browns have done a good job of masking the fact that both of their right tackles or both of their tackles have not played at all this season. Jedrick Wills got hurt, and then Dewan Jones also got hurt, did not come back. But you could tell once the Browns had to go to straight drop back, the Texans teed off. Will Anderson and John Grenard were going insane. Again, another proof of concept. John Grenard was there through the through the Lovey Smith, David Culley years. Will Anderson being a rookie, straight up elevating that defense. Derek Stingley Jr. played really well. Christian Harris had a phenomenal game. So it's all about the youth stepping up to kind of on the defensive side of the ball. That was my biggest question going into the playoffs. How would the youth play on defense? But they handled a team that does throws a lot at you really well and forced them to get into their – forced their hand to play the Texan style of game, and then they just teed off. And they still need some help on defense. I think they need another impact defensive tackle, maybe a second corner. But you can start to see the San Francisco-ness of the Texans defense. And quite frankly, as a Jags fan with uh, a GM like Trent Baalke, probably staying for my entire lifetime, that terrifies me. Um, Mark, when I was eating lunch on Sunday, hours before the Cowboys demise, I was listening to Kevin Clark's, at that time, most recent episode of This Is Football, his fantastic podcast. And he was making a point uh, where he said, he was just kind of like pontificating. And he said, how many NFL teams would, would not swap their next 10 years with Houston's um, and, and he qualified this with like, you have to bake in some unknown, right? Like you could make an argument for Chicago based on where they're at having the number one overall pick. Like if you want to go down that path of unknown, but like he, again, these, this, this was his argument. He said, Kansas city, Baltimore, Buffalo, those might be the three. Um, I mean, th- I mean, JP, you kind of shrugged. I mean, like it's debatable, right? Like if you're factoring in like, They've got the coach, they've got the quarterback, they've got the vibes, they've got the culture, right? They've got the division, seemingly, no offense, JP, um, you know, which is a, a much easier path than, say, you know, the AFC North or whatever the case may be because Joe Burrow exists. Like, like I'm, I don't know, is there another team you'd like to add to that list, Mark? I mean, Green Bay. 
Wow, what the hell, dude? Not cool. Oh, San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, oh, I they're, think they're, they're there though. Like they're in the mix. It's yeah, kind of no, the, they the, absolutely the, are in the mix, and I think that was one of the like sort of macro lessons of this weekend was teams like Green Bay and Houston was like, yeah, they're young, they got young quarterbacks, they're going to get some playoff experience. This is going to be great, but they're with their wins, they are so wildly ahead of schedule that now it's not just hey, maybe they can go a little bit further next year. It's like they could go for next year's here. Like they could still make a deep playoff run this year. And with the two young quarterbacks, future looks bright in both of those cities. Um, but from Houston's perspective, I mean, yeah, that is such a great, they are set up right now to have a very long sustained run. And we can all find the, the takes when they went up to get Will Anderson too in the draft. And it's like, really, you're going to draft Stroud, you're going to draft Will Anderson. Like, like this is not, it's going to work. It did work. That's the proof of concept again. So, yeah, Houston's in a great position. How satisfying, by the way, for them to say, we're going to trade our pick, you know, we're going to hold on to Cleveland's, you know, whatever this yeah. and that, and to, to then beat them to then and, beat them and, and you know, ensure that, you know, I mean, everything went their way. And again, like for it to be against the Browns of all teams, like this, this arrival of this era, obviously after the Deshaun Watson trade, just, I mean, and it's not like they beat, you know, Deshaun Watson on Sunday, but like, again, has to feel really, really, really good. Um, the Texans, if the Steelers upset the Bills on Monday, uh, will travel to face the Kansas City Chiefs. But if Buffalo wins and it goes chalk, um, the Texans will uh, will head to Baltimore. We'll see how that winds up. Um, last game before, I guess, we preview Monday's games. Uh, speaking of Kansas City, JP, it was cold on uh, on Saturday night. Um, and it was, it was on Peacock. And NBC told us, the parent company of Peacock, that it did really well, and they congratulated the people who put on the Peacock show, which was themselves, uh, for a phenomenal show. Uh, so that being said, the Chiefs won the football game 26-7, to and it felt like nobody really cared about the football because of all the weird crap happening around it. You know, I actually thought this game was kind of fun from oh, a schematic, like, Spags versus Mike McDaniel thing, but then it immediately kind of got it got ugly. Yeah. Like even when, even after the Dolphins touchdown, which by the way, that was kind of arm punty. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. anything about Tua. I'm just saying that was kind of arm punty. Even when it was 10-7, nobody thought the Dolphins were coming back. Nobody. And I think that is a large testament to how well Spags has that defense playing. And also a brutal 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 way to end the season for the dolphins where the defense looked good in this game yeah the defense played well the offense scored seven points and did it and Tua didn't go over 100 yards until the fourth quarter that is the big problem um there's a play on the Tua interception steve spagnolo and the chiefs defense starting too high rotate to one high and then rotate back to two high before the snap and Tua throws a pick that is the coolest thing I think I've ever seen. And, I think it's awesome. And the even better part of that play is they've got Hill, single receiver to the right against the Jerry Sneed. Tua wants to go there initially, and Sneed just buries him. And Sneed was extreme, extremely physical with Hill in this game. There were a number of times where he didn't just jam up the line of scrimmage. Like, he jammed him through into the through the ether and into the shadow realm. Like, he did a tremendous job against Hill. But that rotation five-twist, Coach Vass tweeted about it. It's like a five-twist. It's a design. Really confusing. Spags did such a great job. It's sort of muddy in the look for Tua. The Dolphins got some questions, I think. They've got some questions about Tua that they need to figure out. And 
you know, the, the, the last thing I'll sort of say about this is you were up 14 against Tennessee with three minutes to go. Mm. And if you close out that game, you're not could playing in the single game. digigits. You could have been in 70-degree yeah. Miami yeah. playing the Steelers or something. But now you had to go to below freezing. And I think the biggest thing, like you said, with the luxurious need play, that kind of encapsulates what Miami has been with Mike McDaniel. They have lacked physicality. I think it has shown up in a big way against teams that have actually been willing to be physical against them. Um, the Tua thing, look, Tua, I said it after the game. Tua, this was kind of a microcosm of Tua as a quarterback, even with the elements playing a factor. What he's good at, he's very good at. The timing, the anticipation, the throws over the middle of the field. But his physical limitations make it really, really hard to beat the other guys in that conference. Yeah. You could tell they did not trust Tua to make any throws in this game. He was dirting screen passes. And that is really bad in the playoff game. He wasn't able to hit any passes on the outside of the numbers. It just looked so constrained, so constricted compared to what we saw. I mean, this team scored 70 points this season. And they couldn't get, they could get, they couldn't even get double digits in the playoffs when it mattered. The questions are not going to go away about this Dolphins offense. It is, it's not going to go away at all. They are kind of the uh, cold rainy night in Stoke team where can they, can they do it when teams are matching their physicality, when teams are the aggressors, when they're the ones getting bullied, can they do it in those elements? Yeah. I think the takes are going to fly about how you can't just be a finesse team in the NFL. You got to be able to get tough. And I mean, I think there's some substance to that. Like, I don't think that you can debate that at this point in time. And, um, you know, interestingly, where the Cowboys kind of prove like the regular season doesn't matter for them. Like, you can't believe in them at all, you know, no matter what they do in the regular season. The Dolphins proved how much significance there is in the regular season. Because if they if they close that game out against Tennessee, it completely – I mean, and maybe they lose. You know, maybe they get blasted by the Packers. I mean, I know that's not possible. But you get my point. Like, I mean, they're, they're that moment away from, like, their fortunes potentially being very, very, very different. It was strange how they – you know, you mentioned the arm punt, JP how the Dolphins just kind of punted in general. Like, with the game still in the air, I mean, we're we're kind of giving up. I mean, they waved the white flag early in this game. Um, it did feel like they probably recognized, like, this just isn't it. Like, let's just, let's just get out of here. Like, you know, this isn't worth our time anymore. It's a reflection of the quarterback and the trust that the coach has in the quarterback in those elements. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels like they didn't trust Tua in that, in that environment or in that case where – they had to make throws. He had to make throws to win the game. You kind of look back to the end of the game against the Bills where he tries to throw that throw that pass outside the numbers. I think there was a miscommunication, but you, either way, you can't throw that with the safety over the top and it gets picked off. Bills win the game. This is good. It's not going to end for two. Yeah. I think every throw been- outside the numbers on Saturday night was an absolute journey. And he had to put <laughs> everything he had into those throws. And yes, part I of it was elements, not- but not all of it. Part of it. Yeah. Like he had to put, he put his entire body into the throws. And at that point, the, the Dolphins receivers were waiting yeah. on it. And at that point, you kind of negate the speed aspect. Yeah. Of the Dolphins' offense, if you have to wait for the ball, and then the Chiefs were just able to drive on it, and they were able to turn in the pass breakups. The they're not the questions aren't going to go away for Tua and the Dolphins. Like this feels like we're reaching, 
like I think they kind of speed ran it a little bit, also minus the Super Bowl. It feels a little bit like uh, McVay with the, with golf before they traded for Stafford. So now the question is, who's going to be Stafford for Mike McVay? Um, let's quickly pick uh, Monday's games. Um, you know, obviously, one's Monday Night Football, but um, because of the reschedule, we have two games. Mark, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 10-point underdogs on the road in snowy Buffalo. Um, you're picking one. I mean, I think Buffalo wins, but I think Pittsburgh covers. I mean, that's that's a big number. And, you know, obviously the weather has somewhat subsided, but it's still not going to be the greatest conditions. You know, it, it's going to be a snowy track. Um, Buffalo is the better team. I think Pittsburgh's path to a win in this game was to force the bad, crazy Josh Allen game, like the three picks in the Monday night opener against the Jets. With T.J. Watt watching this game from the sidelines because he's hurt, it's much harder to do that. This game has a lot of potential to get Steelers voodoo really quick because this game is going to negate the things that the Steelers actually cannot do, which is defend the pass. I think this game is going to lean heavily into the run game because of all the snow and all the elements. I'm going to pick the Bills here, but I do think the Steelers cover. I think the Steelers make it very uh, – the jokes are going to be coming off the board uh, in the first half, but – when you have Josh Allen, you have a run game with like the Bills that have played so well this in the late half of the season with Joe Brady as offensive coordinator. They're at home, and I I just don't trust Mason Rudolph in a playoff environment. So if this turns into a, a battle of Verdun type of game, then maybe I'm going to take the team with the better quarterback. I'm with you both, um, and, and then I'm taking the Bills. But I will say one thing. All right. Um, Obviously, this game was rescheduled. It was initially supposed to happen early on Sunday, the early game, the noon window. Um, it would be just the most, of course, thing ever for the Cowboys to have technically become the first two seed to lose to a seventh seed when if Buffalo loses to Pittsburgh, they would have actually been the first to have done it, given that Dallas would have you know, done it just a few hours later. But like, of, like, of course, the, the, a snowstorm would have allowed Dallas to be the team to have to kind of wear that shame. Um, so like if I'm, you know, kind of lining things up for like ultimate Cowboys, like commiseration, it's that, uh, but I'm going to take Buffalo still. Uh, but just remember that I said that because the universe is acting out against the Cowboys. Like it always has. So uh, I think that takes us to Monday night football, JP, this line has shrunk. Um, it didn't really move when it was, uh, reported that AJ Brown would not play, but obviously that's not happening. The Eagles are two and a half point, uh, favorites on the road against the Buccaneers. I'm calling my shot here. I'm going Tampa Bay at home. Um, without A.J. Brown, this game gets really, really rough for the Eagles. And I think this is a game that's going to show kind of the flaws of the Eagles' offense this year, which has been we have better dudes, and they don't really scheme anything to get those dudes open. And now with one of those dudes out, it becomes a major problem. Baker Mayfield isn't great, but he's shown he can light up teams with bad linebacker and safety play. And Dave Canales has done a great job of building that offense around Baker's strengths while also maximizing the other players on that team. This feels like a big Chris Godwin game in the slot. I'm going to take Tampa here. And oof, if Tampa beats Philly, maybe the Cowboys stop being the main character. Because, man, that would be, a, again, a brutal way to go out of this season. Yeah, I'm taking the Bucks too. I mean, it feels like something is really amiss in Philly right now. This is a team that was 10-1. and one. This is a team that we were thinking was going to close out the East, 
close out the top spot of the division in, in the conference in the top seed. And then what? Five of six, they lose down the stretch, and that one win against the Giants doesn't exactly instill confidence. And it again exposed some of the flaws up the spine. You get a 76-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton working against a safety. Canales is going to do, a, I think, a very good job tonight at exposing the weaknesses up the middle of that Eagles defense right now. Baker Mayfield's first ever home playoff game in the NFL. I, I think there's going to be some fun vibes there, too. And, yeah, with A.J. Brown out, defensively, like, you can take away Devonta Smith at this point with a little bit of safety help who's had an ankle issue of his own. This is not bode well for Philadelphia right now. Now, maybe they find a way to win this game, but I like Tampa Bay tonight. I don't think there's any way the Cowboys stop being the main character, JP, um, because I think like you both just picked the Bucks, right? Like it's like Phillies, everyone's got one foot, you know, in on Philly, you know, kind of losing this game. Like this has been, I don't want to say obvious, but predictable at the very least for a month now, right? Or at least it feels that way. Um, I picked the Bucks uh, when we made our picks, and so I'm going to stick with that, but I've lost all the passion and energy for it. Like it would have been, you know, beautiful, obviously, if they had the Cowboys wanted to watch the Eagles like fully collapse. And I think they will, like like we all do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it will be hard to enjoy. It will help soften, you know, this this fall uh, just a teeny, teeny bit. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, again, I, I, I think we've all kind of already ripped the Eagles. You know what I mean? Like what what new thing is there to say? Like, oh, they they still suck. You know what I mean? Like we're, we've all gotten the takes off already. I will say if the Eagles do win this, we have another uh, Detroit story game. Matt Patricia and Darius Slay going back to Detroit. DeAndre Swift, the aforementioned. Yeah. DeAndre Swift going back to Detroit. But a thing that might swing this game in the Eagles' favor, Big Dom. Back on the that's side true. Because I mean, think about their record since that big Dom incident. I mean, that's really what went wrong in Philadelphia. Big Dom is moving the needle. I mean, maybe he know? was calling plays. I mean, he was calling defense. Maybe he should play. call plays. I mean, at this point, why not? Give it a shot. Um, I'm a little bit late to the like whoever has the opportunity to do the funniest thing meme joke. Like, I don't know the genesis of that. Um, but the Bucks, I don't want to say have the opportunity to do the funniest thing. But, like, the Bucks have an opportunity to really wreck this because I think we all want the Lions in the title game at the very least. If the Bucks win this game and go to Detroit next week, no one will enjoy that. Like, no, no, no one will be happy about that. You know what I mean? Like, that will be upsetting, I think, on a large level. I think it'd be incredibly funny if Baker, fueled by hater energy, always with the chip on his yeah. shoulder, goes into Detroit and gives the Lions a game. I don't think it, I don't think it will happen. Of course, we have to get past this game, but – I think the team with the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Probably. I think the Steelers have the opportunity to do something very funny, which is the game was postponed, and then they will win a three to two game. Yeah, something ugly. They're, they're going to try and keep this game directly within, like, there's going to be an NFL films game. You know, there's going to be a real 1950s NFL films game. But on the Eagles and Bucks, I think the Eagles are going to try and ball control this. But with their run game being hampered by Jalen Hurts' knee and dislocating his finger, which kind of negates the passing. This, this is not good. Like, this is just not a good it's not a good vibes game for Eagles fans. Um, Rachel, the time has come, thankfully, to end this episode. Uh, but before we do, can you please join us and offer your takes from the weekend, uh, plus how afraid you are or aren't of the Houston Texans, potentially? Uh, and, of course, crown the MFAA MVP. Sure. Um, some of my takeaways from the weekend, got to start with the Cowboys getting embarrassed. Um, 
it was just bad. Sorry, RJ, but that was probably the biggest takeaway. The rookie quarterbacks completely like showing up and showing out. Um, I had put this up on the, like as a banner, um, but according to Next Gen Stats, Derek Stingley, when he was matched up against Amari Cooper on 71% of his routes, he held him to zero catches and Cooper only finished with 59 yards on four catches. And then another one was uh, Rasheed Rice, who had 130 receiving yards, which ended up being the most ever for a Chiefs rookie in a postseason game. And so those were my biggest takeaways from this weekend. Um, I just saw, like you guys were talking about, you know, who could potentially play the Ravens. And so I don't know. I feel like for, like I mentioned how I live in a household with Steelers fans, I would prefer them to play the Texans because if they were to lose to the Steelers and get knocked out of the playoffs by the Steelers, that would hurt way more. Um, and I would just be traumatized having to deal with that for the rest of the offseason. And so I think I would prefer prefer to see, I don't know, that's, that's hard because they also don't have Watt. And so that could be um, a, a pro when it comes to the Ravens winning that game because they don't have their star defensive player. So I don't know. I feel like that's really, really tough. But I think I would prefer to see them play the Texans, if I'm being honest. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. Um, Famous last words. today. Yeah. <laughs> Today, I think you all did a really, really good job. RJ, I really like your point about how you mentioned that the Lions not only like arrived, but they broke through. I thought that that was a really solid point. Mark, I liked your point about how the Dolphins are still going to have some questions about two in this offense during the offseason. And JP, I really, really liked your point about the Texans youth being able to like handle a team that threw a lot of them like very very well and so all of you guys did a really really good job today i'm gonna give it to mark wow i thought you were gonna give it to rj sort of like uh this was a bad bad weekend for me. Like yeah i like the sympathy <laughs> vote there but i mean look rj look props to you for that texans call um I, i've given you props on threads and on twitter and other places even just talking to the family you know around the dinner table um that, that looks like a tremendous call you absolutely nailed it so congratulations on that one uh, Mark, as somebody who played the quarterback position at a very high level, um, what do you think it would feel like to have your helmet literally shatter like Patrick Mahomes did on Saturday night? I mean, look, someday I'll tell the story about me taking Ethan Brooks head on in my freshman year in college. Ethan Brooks, who, by the way, went on to start at left tackle for the Cowboys and the Ravens. Yes, a Division three player can make it to the National Football League. Someday I'll tell that little story. But I can tell you as somebody that did something like that, that could not have felt enjoyable like at all. Especially in the cold, yeah, too. I mean, I understand that those helmets are sort of designed to absorb the impact like that and theoretically um, have a failure like that. But that's going to feel like like I could not I, I would be broken. I would be physically. There were some hits this weekend where I was like, that would be the end of me. Flacco took one where he's trying to slide. Doing, uh, yeah. Serve. On uh, Joe Flacco after trying to end that 39-year-old man's right, career. Right, Like, there were some hits this weekend where I was like, this is this is a very, very violent game. That feels like the right way to end. Let's get out of here. Football's dumb. <laughs>Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. 
Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.